You are now listening to my dad's podcast. Welcome back to Clinical Pearls. This is our second part of our two-part series that will wrap up endometrial carcinoma. In the first session, we covered basic pathophysiology, local spread, staging, as well as a classification system by FIGO. In this part, we'll wrap up the discussion by focusing on adjuvant care after surgery, like radiation therapy, how does chemotherapy fit in, and what about progestin hormone therapy? Remember, in part one, we focused on the diagnosis of endometrial cancer as well as the initial staging. But what about the time, the interval between diagnosis, usually on endometrial biopsy specimen, and final definitive surgery? Now remember, sometimes the diagnosis of endometrial cancer will follow the pathological review of an already removed uterus. In other words, the diagnosis follows a simple hysterectomy, but we'll talk about that a little bit later. Regarding the initial timing after biopsy confirmation of endometrial cancer and surgery, the effect of waiting time for surgical staging on survival outcome for this condition is somewhat controversial. It has been suggested that a longer waiting time for surgical staging was associated with worse survival outcomes in uterine cancer, and the delay between diagnosis and surgery traditionally should not exceed six weeks. However, when new data focus specifically on type 1 endometrial cancer only, the waiting time for surgical staging was not associated with any decreased in surgical survival, presumably owing to its indolent growth and resulting excellent prognosis. As a rule of thumb, however, once a diagnosis of endometrial cancer is made by biopsy, there simply is no good reason why delay in definitive surgery should occur. Now that we've covered that, let's take a look at the treatment algorithm based on stage. For stage 1, remember that's locally confined disease, and for all the stages, remember that as a foundation, surgical therapy and surgical staging is key. For stage 1 disease, a general recommendation includes opening of the abdomen with a vertical midline incision and taking perineal washings. Now remember, we covered this as part of the extrafascial hysterectomy discussion in part 1, so I'd recommend you go back to that podcast and look at that if you haven't listened to that first section before. We've also discovered in that first podcast episode that laparoscopic removal of the uterus and the adnexa as therapy for early stage disease seems to be safe and effective. Remember that additionally, laparoscopic interventions are associated with significant decreased risk of major surgical adverse events, shorter hospital stays, less pain, and even faster recoveries. We also mentioned as a quick wrap-up of our part one episode that even though lymph node dissection is part of the staging nomenclature by FIGO, the utility of lymphadenectomy of both the pelvic and paraaortic areas is somewhat disputed. And that's because it just doesn't seem to improve survival. Currently, however, it is advised that complete lymphadenectomy be continually done in cases specifically with high-risk features. 
Any deeply invasive tumor or radiological suggestion of positive nodes is an indication for retroperitoneal lymph node evaluation, which might be followed by removal of any enlarged or suspicious nodes. Documentation of positive nodes identifies high-risk populations, and these people need to have their adjuvant therapy tailored. We'll get into that in just a moment. Nodal resection also allows, however, the identification of node-negative patients, potentially reducing the need for external beam radiotherapy. Surgical management and removal of the uterus, bilateral tubes, and net nexa is foundational for all treatment of endometrial cancer. But where does adjuvant therapy come in? Let's take a look at radiation therapy as part of adjuvant care first. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. At present, the indication for adjuvant radiation therapy is based on the presence of risk factors. Remember, risk factors have to do with the type of histology of the tumor and the tumor grade. Low-risk disease is considered stage 1 and grade 1 or 2 with no or only superficial myometrial invasion. Now, let's put this in perspective. Remember, we're talking about specifically type 1 endometrial cancers. So type 1 means the typical estrogen-responsive endometrial carcinoma. Stage 1 is locally confined disease and it's low risk because it's grade 1 or 2 with only or no superficial myometrial invasion. In this group, there is no survival advantage to the use of adjuvant radiation therapy. Remember, radiation therapy comes in two main flavors, external beam radiation and local vaginal brachytherapy. Trials have demonstrated significant reduction in the rates of vaginal and pelvic recurrence after external beam therapy in this subgroup of patients, remember low grade and low stage. However, even though there's less local recurrence, there's just no added survival benefit for these stage 1 patients. In contrast, those who received external beam radiation simply had an increase in long-term morbidity. So remember this clinical pearl. In patients with stage 1 endometrial cancer with low, intermediate, or high intermediate risk factors, adjuvant radiotherapy has no impact on survival, but it does reduce the rate of local pelvic recurrence. Let's break this down in a little bit more detail. In stage 1 disease, adjuvant radiation therapy is discouraged in low-risk patients, but it is indicated in high-risk patients. Okay, specifically, patients with grade 1 to 2 tumors with no more than 50% myometrial invasion or for those with only a single high-risk factor, adjuvant radiotherapy is not recommended. 
for patients with high or intermediate risk factors that includes two of the high-risk factors like age greater than 60 or deep myometrial invasion, grade 3 tumor grade, or serous or clear cell histology, or even those that have lymphovascular space involvement, then vaginal brachytherapy alone is preferable to external beam therapy. Now, this provides excellent vaginal control without impacting quality of life. Remember, we're talking about stage 1 disease. There is a role for external beam radiation therapy, but that's in more advanced stages, and we'll get to that in just a moment. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. In patients with higher risk stage, like 1 to 2, or grade 3, or who have deep invasion with lymphovascular space involvement, or any patient with unfavorable histology, pelvic external beam radiation still remains the standard of care. Okay, so let's not get confused by this. In patients with stage 1 disease, regardless of low, intermediate, or high-risk factors, external beam radiation therapy does not seem to have any survival advantage, although it may decrease local recurrence. But in patients with stage 1 to 2 disease that have grade 3 or deep invasion, lymphovascular space involvement, or unfavorable histologies, external beam radiation therapy is still standard. Overall, the need for external beam radiation decreases when surgical staging confirms node-negative disease. Surgical staging also allows clinicians to identify node-positive disease that benefits from this adjuvant therapy. For women with stage 3 endometrial cancer, the combination of adjuvant chemotherapy and radiation makes the most attempt to maximize recurrence-free survival. I don't want to get too much into stage 3 now because that's not our focus. We're still covering stage 1, but stage 3 will be covered a little bit later in the podcast. Now that we've covered that, let's move on to the treatment for those who have clinical overt endometrial cancer stage 2 disease. In these cases, radical hysterectomy with bilateral salpingo-oophorectomy and lymphadenectomy had been the historic treatment. However, it's important to note that this strategy has been poorly supported by the medical literature. Results of some retrospective studies actually show no survival benefit from radical hysterectomy. Surgical treatments in patients with suspected gross cervical involvement is still currently under evaluation as radical hysterectomy increases the risk of adverse events. Neoadjuvant therapy followed by a less extensive simple hysterectomy can represent an alternative strategy in these cases. If surgery is not considered feasible because of tumor extension and or in medically inoperable patients, full pelvic radiotherapy 
and intracavitary brachytherapy, as in cervical cancer, may be employed either pre-op or definitively with high disease control and survival rates. This takes us now to stage 3. Most patients with stage 3 endometrial cancer are managed by complete surgical resection of all pelvic and or nodal disease, followed by post-op external beam radiation and or chemotherapy. As primary tumors of both the ovary and the endometrium may be present in patients with presumed stage 3 disease with adnexal involvement, full surgical staging, and expert pathological examination of the specimen is recommended, of course, in these cases. Adjuvant treatment is indicated for women with stage 3 disease. Patients with clinical stage 3 endometrial cancer in which surgical resection is not possible are treated primarily by pelvic radiation with or without chemo. Once therapy has been completed, exploratory laparotomy should be considered for those patients whose disease now appears to be resectable. As for stage 4 disease, remember this is your obviously your most advanced Optimal management in women with stage 4 endometrial cancer includes cytoreductive surgery, which is associated with superior overall survival. In advanced disease, neoadjuvant chemo is also an option, particularly if post-op morbidity is considered likely and or ascites is present. After surgery, platinum-based chemotherapy should be considered. Because the trials show favorable results, patients with evidence of extra-abdominal metastasis are usually managed with systemic platinum-based chemo or hormonal therapy if grade 1 is present or the receptor positive. Remember, neoadjuvant chemo is the treatment of choice in advanced stage disease. Pelvic radiotherapy in stage 4 disease is sometimes considered to provide local tumor control. Similarly, it also has been suggested that patients with vaginal bleeding or pain from a local tumor mass or who have leg edema due to lymph node involvement should be treated with pelvic radiotherapy for local control of disease and for symptoms. Palliation of brain or bone metastasis can be effectively obtained with short courses about one or five fractions of radiotherapy. Okay, now that we've covered all of our stages, we still have to cover progestin therapy. Let's do that next. Although the use of progesterone therapy has been widely recognized in the past, a recent meta-analysis showed that no survival benefit occurred for adjuvant progestin therapy in endometrial cancer. A subsequently published randomized trial of over a 1,000 women also failed to demonstrate any survival benefit with progestational therapy. However, having said that, hormonal therapy can provide prolonged remission of metastatic disease in women who have low grade and whose tumor is estrogen receptor, progestin receptor positive. Now, where possible, the ERPR should be determined. Now, remember, that's estrogen receptor, progestin receptor should be determined on a biopsy of the recurrent tumor because the hormone receptor status may actually change over time and may be different from its original primary organic malignancy. 
All right, team, we're getting to the end of our podcast, so hang in there, because we've left the most dreaded for the last, and that's the diagnosis of endometrial cancer after hysterectomy has been done, where the pathologist gives you a call and says, remember that hysterectomy that you did? Well, there's endometrial cancer within. Now, that could be a fault of inappropriate workup pre-surgery, or it just may have been missed despite our best attempt. Several therapeutic management problems have been reported to arise from post-hysterectomy diagnosis. This is particularly true in cases where the adnexa weren't removed, which causes most of the problems, especially if vaginal hysterectomy was done for concurrent pelvic organ prolapse. Recommendations for further post-op therapy are based on known risk factors for extrauterine disease related to the following the histological grade of the tumor, the depth of myometrial invasion, and the specific type of endometrial cancer found, in other words, type 1 or type 2. Individuals with grade 3 lesions, those who have deep myometrial invasion, or who have lymphovascular space involvement may be candidates for additional surgery to remove the adnexa or adjuvant external beam radiation. Patients who are found to have grade 1 or 2 lesions with minimal myometrial invasion and no lymphovascular space involvement generally require no further therapy. Thanks for taking this journey with us down the treatment algorithm for endometrial cancer. This wraps up our two-part mini-series on endometrial carcinoma based on the 2018 FIGO Cancer Report. We'll see you next time on our podcast here on Clinical Pearls.